You are now listening to the Big Data Beard. Hi, everybody. This is Corey Minton with the Big Data Beard team. And today we are joined by Dr. Simon Crosby of Swim AI. Simon, how are you doing today, sir? Terrific. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. Well, I've invited my uh, my good friend Brett Roberts to join me on the podcast today. Brett, how are you doing today, bud? Uh, doing great. Excited for this one. Excellent. Well, Simon, do us a favor. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and what you do at Swim? Oh gosh, I'm CTO at Swim. Uh, my history is kind of low level infrastructure. I um, was co-founder of a company called Zen Source, which built the Zen hypervisor which ended up, I guess, being a critical piece of infrastructure for Amazon. Um, and then subsequently started a company called Brumim, which used um, virtualization on a CPU to hard-isolate individual apps running on a device. That was mostly security play, and now I'm at Swim. Very cool. So tell me a little bit about how Swim came to be. I think Swim came to be because in reality, the model of cloud doesn't match up with the model of edge. So the Genesis was this brilliant, uh, our brilliant chief architect, Chris Sachs, who was solving problems um, related to real-time control of city infrastructure. Uh, For example, making sure that that trap that um, urban lighting would um, you know would respond to a user walking past or a car driving down the street and so on, and <clears throat> this idea of having to make a round trip every time you use anything to the cloud just didn't make sense. And so Swim started out as the genesis of needing to implement real time stateful control of of edge devices. It's evolved to deal with this massive data that we see from devices of all types and to take advantage of Sim's model of computing, which I hope to go into, um, to solve pressing problems of volumes of data streaming um, into enterprises which we want to derive insights from in real time. So there's a lot of vendors out there, Simon, that, you know, that provide software uh, and services and technology to help that they talk about this edge to core, you know, to cloud methodology. But, but what is it really that Swim is doing that's, that's unique or novel that, that isn't being done in other parts of the industry? So it's not an edge to core problem. Let's just start with that. If I offer you a blueberry muffin right now, you don't phone your mom, right? You know. True. No, I don't. You know? Okay. Why do you know? Because you figured it out over time. And so the idea that for everything we're going to go to the cloud is just plain nuts. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing we need to realize is that, you know, whilst cloud computing has been a major boon and will continue to be for a ton of applications, it's just absolutely unsuitable too many applications which are very data intensive and which tend to be involved in the real world in which we live. 
And so there is no reason to believe that the stuff that built Google's data flow pipelines is useful for what we want to do in every other aspect of business. Interesting. So there's there's this idea that, and I think what you're hitting on here is that traditionally a lot of these data pipelines have been go get the data, bring it somewhere, whether it's cloud or a private cloud or whatever, do something with that data and then act. But you're, it sounds like you're arguing that it's more of a analyze the data in real time, act in real time, and then maybe if necessary, send the data back to some cloud. Is that accurate? Sure. So uh, definitely it's that. So the the store then analyze movement, which I think started with the escape of the Hadoop folk from Google <laughs> and the birth of Cloudera and, and Hortonworks has kind of seen its peak and is declining. It's not that that stuff is not useful. It's useful for a ton of data and a ton of uh, applications. It's just that for... Um, for any form of data for which we want to derive real-time insights and any form of boundless data, there is no way to make that store the analyze mechanism work. Okay? And it turns out that there are masses and masses and masses of applications where you want real-time insights applied to boundless data streams. And a boundless data stream is just something that will just never shut up. So there's there's no way you can put it on a disk and hope that you're done, right? So this, you can't analyze this data set because it just hasn't stopped yet. And so for that category of of data and those kinds of insights, you really need to derive them in real time. Now, the open source community is responding to that. Google is responding and a bunch of other folk know there's efforts in Spark streaming. There are other open source efforts uh, such as Beam and Flink. There are tons of things going on. Um, Even the Kafka folk, Confluent with Confluent Cloud and so on, are talking about streaming data. Um, But ultimately, The question is how and where are we going to drive these insights and what are we going to do with them? And Swimit, I think, is a very elegant answer to those challenges. Well, speaking of elegant elegant answers to those challenges, you, you all have a pretty big announcement that's been made recently around a new product called Data Fabric. Tell me a little bit about what Data Fabric is and how it's part of the evolution and what Swim AI is trying to accomplish. Okay, so Data Fabric is our commercial product built around Swim, which is open source and available on GitHub. Um, and it is specifically aimed at enterprises facing large numbers of distributed boundless data streams who want to derive insights from those in real time so that they can make optimal decisions about what to do. Okay, and we can come up with a bunch of examples and I'll happily talk you through some. The key thing we have done here in Data Fabric is closely integrate the product into the Microsoft Azure IoT framework <clears throat> so that you can provision and manage the product through its lifecycle using all of the tooling that Microsoft provides. Um, 
and then make use of their other Azure services, for example, uh, Azure Data Lake, to store insights, um, and then to feed those directly into application frameworks such as Power BI, or even machine learning systems such as um, you know Azure Databricks or or or, um, uh, or others you know that you might use. So the the key thing for us has been we use data fabric as an on-ramp to the cloud. Okay. And we take advantage of the massive machinery that Microsoft brings to the pro to the party, which is AES and, and lifecycle management and provisioning and everything else. And that saves us a ton of effort. So can you give us uh, an example of a customer that's had issues with data streams and how Swim AI is helping solve those challenges? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll give you one. We um, are involved in military aircraft assembly. And so the customer there had this problem. Um, every part in the, in the factory was labeled with an RFID tag. And um, every time a tag got seen by one of the sensors, a tag read got written to, an, uh, uh, to a database. Now, the factory is about a mile long and they were getting about 10,000 reads a second from all their sensors, uh, which meant that their database was growing, you know, without just massive. And their problems, they had huge problems reconciling parts with, you know, their stockpile and whatever else and managing their supply chain. And for Swim, the solution was tiny and elegant, okay? Every RFID tag, that a sensor sees just becomes a digital twin of an RFID tag. And every time it gets seen by a sensor, the sensor simply calls that, uh, that digital twin, which is a, a concurrent process, um, and simply says, hey, I saw you and here's the signal strength. And so on two Raspberry Pis, we can see tens of thousands of parts and every one of them does the obvious thing, which is triangulate its position of all of the sensors and um, hey presto, suddenly you know where every part is in the factory. And no tag read you know, information has to be written to a database anymore because we know where everything is. It's figuring it, you know, each one of these little digital twins is figuring it out for itself. So the fundamental step that Swim takes is by making this edge world stateful. And by stateful, I mean something similar to an AWS Lambda, except that every single time the Lambda gets called, we have the state handy from the last time it was called because it's a stateful digital twin. And so we can process immediately at the edge on very modest devices um, and build this effectively a graph, uh, a model, which models the real world exactly at all times and avoid this tremendous cost of largely useless data being stuck in storage. So let's let, let me dig in here because I, I, I want to make sure I understand this concept. So you, you use this term digital twin. 
let's pull that thread a little bit. What, what do you mean when you say you're creating a stateful digital twin? And let's use that RFID example. Like, what does that mean more, more explicitly? Yeah. So, let, well, let's even take a step back. What is SWIM? SWIM is a small two megabyte extension to the, to the JVM. We typically use the Gravian because it's tiny. Um, and we don't rely on you know all the heavyweight Java machinery. We just use Java because it's, it's um, architecture independent. So, what is a digital twin? A, a digital twin is a concurrent Java object. So, it's a process associated with a single Java object whose job is to simply process its own raw data from the edge and statefully transform and represent the effects of that data in a meaningful way. Okay, so implicit in this is that there's some notion of transformation from raw data to meaningful state, and that state is then represented in memory of this process and available to all other digital twins in in the... Um, model which is being built of digital twins. So we go immediately from raw data to a state model where each one of these individual objects has its own state and can make that state available to other objects. And they're all operating independently and concurrently. So every one of these little things processes its own raw data and statefully evolves. Interesting. So one, one thing you said there though, is that swim operates as a, as just a small extension to a JVM. Is that, that's literally the way swim is deployed yeah. everywhere. So any deployment involves one or more instances. And then instance is basically provisioned as a container, um, which contains the JVM. And then all the instances in a, in a deployment interconnect uh, using WebSockets. And they talk to each other using a little protocol called WARP. And WARP <clears throat> is really just specialized to ensure that we can transmit subsets of state, state changes between all of these instances. So every instance in a deployment has the entire model that we're building. And every time one of these objects updates its state, the state changes are automatically streamed between the instances so that every instance has access to all of the, to, to the current state of the entire model at all times. <laughs> it's almost like a distributed ledger. It feels very blockchain-y. <laughs> uh, yes and no, as in no. Yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> so, so one of the things that we hear that, you know, a lot of organizations and you mentioned, you know, other vendors, the Kafka worlds, the confluence of the world yeah. the sparks is, you know, they all talk about streaming, but one of the challenges of streams is, is actually understanding how to build those intelligent data pipelines Bingo. with, with these complex streams of data. So how is data fabric solving that challenge of actually understanding which are the right pipelines to build? Yeah. So one of the biggest challenges you face with any one of the learning or analysis frameworks out there is that they all think that it's about data and it isn't it's about state so 
let me think, let me give you another example. We're widely deployed in a bunch of U.S. cities where we do prediction of future traffic flow on an intersection by intersection basis. Now, it turns out this stuff is 30 or so years old, right? And so a red light might scream, I'm red, you know, every half second for three minutes. That's a ton of data, but the light is red. I just need to know that. Mm-hmm. Okay? I don't need the raw data. And the reason this is important is that if you think about the world data first, you have this really tremendous problem, which is that if you could have something which is largely irrelevant to your model, but which is extraordinarily loud, it just sends you a bunch of data. And you could have something which is really important to your model, but only emits data rarely. And the problem is that at any point in time, if you want to run or solve your model, you don't know what the state is of the thing that isn't represented in your data. What you have is just a bunch of noise from something which is largely irrelevant. Okay? Whereas if you go for a stateful model, you know the state of the thing that's not important, and you know the state of the thing it is. And that's all you need, right? Mm -hmm. So this transition at the edge from data into things which manage their own state and then flow their state up the graph towards analytical frameworks, whether that be machine learning or just traditional analysis, is absolutely fundamental. It also has this benefit of dramatically reducing the amount of data in flight. Well, absolutely. That's one of the, I mean, the laws of physics are one of the biggest challenges with data analytics at the edge today, which is, you know, we've got this massive amount of data that we're trying to stream across distributed and oftentimes broken ancient <laughs> networks. Yeah, let that- me give you a number there. Mm-hmm. In the city of Las Vegas, we get 60 terabytes per day from the traffic infrastructure. Okay, there is nobody who could afford to pay for that and derive the insights that we do by doing it in the cloud. Okay, you just couldn't buy the network to do it and you couldn't afford to run the cloud-based infrastructure to derive, to post-process all of that stuff. And by the way, then you couldn't deliver a second-by-second accurate prediction of what's about to happen. So you mentioned city of Las Vegas, and they are one of the pioneer cities for the whole smart city initiative. Uh, how are you all helping them? Are, are you doing anything with the city of Las Vegas today? <laughs> we are. But l- let's be clear. Selling to city governments is like watching paint dry. <laughs> they don't want to be doing it. And so our work there is actually interesting in that we work with the company that actually helps them manage their traffic infrastructure, the hardware. And they have rights to the data. Okay? And what we do is we just process the data stream and derive these insights, which are predictions on a put on an intersection by intersection basis. And we present those in an API up in Microsoft Azure, which can be accessed by third parties. 
which are Uber, Lyft, Audi, whatever, right? All these companies who want better insights into the future evolution of the city infrastructure and who are prepared to pay for that. So when somebody starts to uh, think that Swim AI is the right platform that they want to start to deploy this, does, does Swim make this, do you have like a packaging or is there a, a simple you know interface that you all create that makes it easy to deploy and manage these Swim AI instances? Sure. I mean, so anybody who wants to just go and tinker with it can just download stuff off GitHub. Um, we have the product Data Fabric is available um, in the App Store, in the Microsoft, you know, uh, for Azure IoT Hub. Um, and you can just download and get going there. And you can manage it and deploy it and everything else using the tools that Microsoft provides. Um, but we have customers who actually use the product not in Azure. Um, they're AWS and Azure based. And so you can also deploy it and use it, you know, use whatever tools you want. So uh, tell me, talk to me about the uh, the partner ecosystem because we clearly understand that Azure is a, a massive partner, right? What's the what's the cloud on ramp look like with with kind of the the rest of the poly cloud world? Yeah, I think the edge world is tricky, precisely because every customer has their own particular goals, their own their own desires in terms of the insights they want to derive from their data. And that's hard. Plus, there's lot, there's substantial diversity in devices. So, the IoT world, in terms of startups, is challenging because you can't find it's tricky to find a repeatable business model. So, we work heavily with partners who make money delivering the product into specific customer departments, whether that be oil and gas or smart cities or even security. So going back to your partnership with Azure, uh, what are some of the integrations with Azure that you see being the most impactful for your users? So the typical integration with Azure tends to be this, that we reduce this vast amount of data to something that you actually want to store Long for the, for the long haul, something that's valuable over a period of time. We will make you label it and feed it into ADLS, and then hey presto, you know you have your data showing up from transitions from ghastliness at the edge into a, a well-labeled, massaged set of state transitions which you want to keep for the long haul. Okay, and the format we use there is CDM in, in ADS Gen 2. And then you can write apps in Power BI, or if you wanted to use that as input into your machine learning stuff using Azure Databricks, go for it. Okay, what you now have is fabulously labeled data ready to be consumed and used for whatever you want to do analytically prediction-wise or whatever it is. The key point here is that once you're up there, once you're in Azure and pulling stuff out of ADLS, you're in the domain of not quite real-time, right? So you're not driving real-time decisions on the on the street, say, right? Or 
on the production line as things flow. So if I, so I want to make sure I summarize this accurately and I make sure I get this because this is a, this is what I'm taking away is, is this, the, the big shift in what swim is doing in edge processing is being less concerned about the constant, as you said, streams that just won't shut up, but it's about the states, right? And the, the, the state of, of those sensors, the state that is, is existing at a point in time and understanding those transitions between states so that you can identify what's anomalous, what's not. That that's a that's a large fundamental shift. Do I have that accurate? That's kind of one of the, the kind of the key critical deliveries of swim. Yep, that, and then, that's it. But but let's put it slightly differently. Okay, so we all love cloud, and for me, cloud is precisely two things. Okay, it's REST and databases. Mm-hmm. So REST means stateless processing, which is wonderful. So I can deal with, say, AWS land or whatever, which is stateless. And I, and that thing can go very wide. So I can deal with 10,000 events a second because there are 10,000 different servers up there, each of which can take an event, load my code, go to database, figure out what I was doing last time around, um, do some computation, store the new event, uh, new data, and then we're done, right? Great. But the through, so I can deal with 10,000 events a second in the cloud, but the end-to-end latency per event may be most of a second for 0.1 milliseconds worth of person. By the way, I'm going to pay for all of that. Mm-hmm. Okay? I'm going to pay to keep computers idle. Whereas a stateful person at the edge, we're close to the data, allows me to use the CPU and memory at the speed at which you can go. So 10,000 events a second, God, of course, no problem. Memory runs at nanoseconds. So I can go 100,000 times faster than the cloud, even on a modest device. So I'm going to make this mind-blowingly, shockingly clear to you. The city of Palo Alto generates about four terabytes a day. I can easily deal with that in AWS, producing predictions and everything else. That's about $5,000 a month. Okay, if I buy an NVIDIA Jetson at 200 bucks, once off, I'm done for life. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) So I want you people, maybe cloud means this also. It's like we've been throwing away all the benefits of Moore's Law for the last five generations. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> That's well, what, what REST does for you. It lets you go wide, but it doesn't give you – I mean, you get speed back because there are lots of things up there. Yeah, well, what's interesting is you talk about – I mean, you, you talked about the technologies that people have used to solve some of these challenges in the open source, like when you know Hadoop escaped Google. But I actually wonder if this isn't even more interesting in altering the way we think about other – sort of machine data tools like the, you know, event logging tools, because one of the challenges with, you know, whether it's, you know, Splunk, Logarithm, um, you know, ArcSight, all these SIM tools. Yeah. One of the challenges people have there is there's massive amounts of event data (laughs) that you're having to come through and make sense of. Do you see partner, do you see someone partnering with organizations like that? Or do you think this is more of a disruption? No, we have our first customer engagement in the area of security. And it's kind of funny. I mean, just what you were saying with regards to Logarithm and Splunk. I mean, people are paying 
huge amounts of money to store data that's of zero value because most of the time everything's okay, right? Mm -hmm. So they're paying through the nose for for nothingness, right? So there's an opportunity to dramatically change that by using stateful computation as data is generated. And we're all over that. So we think that'll be fun. Um, in general, the opportunity is to use hybrid resources. The cloud is fabulous for long-term storage and for insights over periods of time other than real time. Um, and you need to use this. And, and so what Swim can do is really, we don't really care where we run. We just want to be on the path of the data, right? And ideally the first people to get our fingers on the bits. Um, and so we can bleed, and we do bleed computation from the physical edge through the fog up into cloud instances. So typical swim deployment, even in traffic, we have a couple of Azure instances with GPUs attached. And when we want to inference, oh my goodness, that's cool. We just use that, right? right. The, the key point here is that swim takes care of another really challenging part of the infrastructure of learning and analysis. And that is where does something run? Swim automatically moves tasks to the right place to run. So if something expresses an affinity for a GPU and it has a need for tons of memory and CPU, we'll just move it there stately in real time. Mm -hmm. So this, so you, you give us a bunch of really interesting use cases where this is, you know, it's delivering value. I, I want to make sure that we, we understand what those key business values are. Cause if somebody can move, you know, this sort of processing from cloud to edge, yeah. What are what are the deliverable business values that you're seeing organizations get? Is it just is it just cost reduction, or are there other major benefits that you see in organizations moving to this real time edge stateful processing? So, <clears throat> let's run through what you know the the key things that it does, and then the benefits will flow. Right, mm -hmm. so we can ingest in this massively distributed, like worldwide distributed. Um, Fabric, ingest, reduce, and label data. Mm -hmm. Okay, so people go from noisy stuff of high bandwidth to very efficient labeled data and um, build this model of the things in your world where the things represent their own state. Okay, using whatever compute resources are available close to data. We then have an ability to share those insights in real time. You can just look at them and then do things. But more importantly, these little digital twins link to each other. Okay, we haven't discussed this before. They link to each other based on real world things that we discover in the data. So, for example, proximity or containment or correlation in data. And so we're building a graph. So, one way I think of Swim is that it's like LinkedIn for things. Okay. Okay. Things link to other things, and when they link, they can see each other's state. And then they can collaborate to solve problems, right? What problems? Cool. Now we're going to let data scientists on a separate time scale drop problems into this model, which is self-maintaining of things which are safely evolving at the edge. We're going to let you 
experiment. You can put, you know, you can attach different analytical problems to these things and say, go figure it out and tell me. And you can do that in a running live model. You can even script those in JavaScript or Python and drop them in. Okay, so we decouple this whole problem of learning or at least the analysis part from the problem of dealing with all the data and building a model. Okay, so we just have a live model running and then you can just go play with it. And you can save whatever you want to save. If you if you want to save data, good for good for you. If you don't, that's fine. Okay. Just don't do saving on the hot path. We just save later because disks are slow. Okay. So you get to continuously analyze and then you get to respond to to the changing world in real time. Okay. So these little digital twins analyze their own state or their own neighborhood and they tell you stuff you need to know and then you get to respond in real time. So we do failure prediction in complex manufacturing environments and you know we generally get things within a second or two right so we save tens of thousands of dollars per run just because they don't make a bunch of stuff that, that doesn't work and then it runs lights up let me just be very clear on this there will never be a devops culture or kubernetes for my yogurt factory in Parang, illinois there just won't be Okay, and yet these people have problems with massive data. Mm-hmm. So this whole thing is designed to be just really simple. Just deploy it, and it'll figure out what the stuff is that's useful to listen to, let you figure out what you want to learn in a very interactive environment, and then you're done. Okay, so no DevOps required. So benefits are low cost, use hybrid resources, Cheap to deploy, powerful analytics tool bench. You can do whatever you want, and you get out of this data domain and data ops just automatically because we're building the model for you and taking all the headache out of it, uh, out of the whole process of managing a data flow pipeline. A data flow pipeline. That's incredible. I, so I'm curious, are you seeing, I know you've mentioned a couple of times, like you've mentioned, mentioned manufacturing and you've mentioned city, you know, sort of governments with the infrastructure. Cause that sounds like that was the genesis of what Chris was trying to solve. But are there other industries that you think are prime for, uh, for deriving value from swim and data fabric? Sure. So those are both examples at the physical edge, but the data could be arriving fast from anywhere over the internet. So clickstream analysis is huge, right? Or building a model of the current location and state of every mobile handset for a mobile carrier, right? For a mobile operator, where the data arrives essentially, yeah, it's their network, but it's over the internet. Right, and so building an in-memory real-time model, which allows customer care or advanced service offerings to be built on top of this model, um, in real, you know, to be able to respond in real time, is is another use case. So I want to make sure you understand this this model of computing is not tied to physical widgets at the edge, at the physical edge, and and little low-powered thing move ops. It's useful as a general abstraction 
which can be broadly applied to a world of things which emit data. And that's the way we're headed. Every product emits data. So speaking of the way that you're headed, can you tell us a little bit about what's next for Swim AI? Yeah. So, um, you know, we're a small, small startup. And so it's been a great pleasure to work with Microsoft folks and to be an on-ramp into Azure. What we see now is enormous interest on the part of customers <clears throat> who have tons of data and lots of widgets and also are users of the Microsoft Cloud infrastructure using us as an on-ramp. Well, the ability to use Swim as an on-ramp is pretty incredible because a lot of folks want to use, as you said, that very broad capability in the cloud, but they don't want to pay for that world of, I have to <laughs> to send tens and 20, hundreds of terabytes per day into the cloud to eventually derive value. Uh, right. Those services are valuable, like what Azure's doing makes it accessible for folks to do that. But I think the thing that I'm taking away from from what Swim really does is you're extracting the signal from the noise without the pain of having to deal with storing all the noise. That's right. Interesting. Well, Simon, it's been really interesting to talk with you about what Swim is doing to really transform how we're leveraging this massive amount of data being created in a distributed fashion around things and thingamabobs, as you said, right? That you're deriving value from understanding the state in a meaningful way and using the right tools to understand what's happening at the right time and use the cloud when it makes sense, but absolutely push that process into the edge. So Simon, thanks for joining us to talk about Swim AI and your announcement around data fabric, but I want to shift gears here. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. All right, so Simon, what is the latest book you've read that you would recommend to our listeners? Hmm, that's a fascinating thing. You know, at the moment I'm reading a bunch of scientific papers, so I'm going to skip on the book piece because I've been deeply immersed in a bunch of papers on machine learning. So if you'll permit me, I'll give you a, a little tour there. The really interesting question is whether all this fuss about machine learning algorithms, which is basically just nonlinear optimization or um, statistics, actually is any better than um, traditional statistical regression type predictions. And the answer is, yeah, kind of not. So... Um, there's some fascinating papers out there and I'll happily provide you links. You can give them to your listeners in your show notes. Um, but ultimately I'm, you know, I'm trying to debug this passion that everybody has about AI and machine learning. And it turns out because I'm a, a statistician by training that there isn't a whole lot of new stuff in it. It's wild. But what I was just thinking is you're going to make a lot of, uh, a lot of students who are getting their uh, their doctorates in, in statistics and machine learning really sad that the crazy copious amounts of papers, the Cambrian explosion of machine learning algorithms that we're going through right now may or may not be producing anything useful. That's a sad well, state of affairs. Fundamentally <laughs> new. I mean, they may yeah. they may work, but yeah, the math is old. It's just a deployment methodology that's changing and the scale. Interesting. 
Cool. So if you had a song to play when you walk on stage for a conference that you're presenting at, what would that song be? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I would say uh, be something by Eric Clapton. I have to go and think a bit. Good choice. So, like that? I'm, I'm on a Clapton theme at the moment. All right. Clapton kick. I like it. All right. So what piece of technology is currently making your life worse? Making my life worse? Yep. No, I, I don't have any of those. I throw them away. <laughs> Smart. The right answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is your biggest personal money pit right now? My biggest personal money pit probably is Uber. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, much as I hate Uber, um, it's a very convenient way of getting around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I just spend too much money. I, you know, rather than drive myself in certain traffic, I can be productive, you know, sitting in Uber. That sucks. But anyway. Do you all get the emails at the end of the year from Uber saying this is how long you spent in the car, how much you spent? Oh, it's just. It's yeah. embarrassing yeah, it's just, to read. <laughs> It's embarrassing to read, and I'm like a platinum member or something. Well, whatever. Yeah, I've actually just recently shifted from Uber to Lyft uh, for two reasons. One, because you get Delta points with Lyft, and I'm a total Delta geek. Oh, but you do. Yeah, you get. Yeah, so they have a connection. So if you're a Delta person, now, I don't think they're like. I don't think it's like going to make you move between statuses. But at least if I'm spending the money, I may as well get the benefit. The other is I talked with some drivers, you know, in the car, small talk, and they've said that Lyft is a much uh, kinder, uh, more reputable company in terms of the way they treat their drivers. So I felt like I was, I was doing, doing a solid by supporting the, the more reputable company. <laughs> Look at you, Corey. All right. So moving on. So what show are you binging on right now? So what show am I binging on? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, <laughs> you're going to be a bit embarrassed about, well, I'm embarrassed about this. Um, you know, it, it's for me, my life is mostly my kids. Um, and so it's, um, it's simple things like just that magic. <laughs> no, that's great. So no, that's important. That's awesome. And then lastly, where's the next interesting place that you're going to be going to? Mm, I'm going to go to Bali. Bali? So, Ooh, yeah, scuba dive. Oh, yeah. oh, scuba diving. That sounds awesome. That's awesome. Well, Simon, it has been awesome to chat with you about the ways that Swim AI and the new data fabric is really changing the way people think about this, uh, this deluge of data that's coming from these massive streams. And we appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to hang out with you. Thanks for joining us, Simon, on the Big oh, Desert Podcast. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard Podcast. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify.